Well, good morning. If you would grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his faith, by, by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the living God. Thanks be to God God indeed. You may have a seat. Well, we will get to Romans 3 a little later in our sermon, but uh, join me for a word of prayer. Our gracious God, we do pray that our great high priest, Jesus Christ, would be magnified today. We are so thankful for his death and his life, and we are so very thankful for his intercession, praying for us even now. Some of us today, Lord, are here and they are bruised and battle-wearied. Some of us are in a state of joy and comfort. And the great gift of the gospel and especially as Christ as high priest, is that he comes to us as we are, and he ministers to us the gospel. He humbles our pride. He comforts us for the weary. And we ask, Lord, that this, might done and that this might be done in this hour, that Christ would come and minister his glorious gospel to us in the word. That whatever we are, whoever we are, we might find him as precious, find him as worthy, and find him as lovely in all that he is for us in the gospel. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This Advent season, we are looking at Christ, our mediator. We begun last week looking at what that means for us. We looked at uh, his role as prophet. Christ, our mediator, is our prophet, our priest, and our king. The topic of Christ as mediator is, is really as ancient as our very existence. Uh, Job, for example, probably living in the time of the patriarchs, maybe before uh, Abraham, even uh, Job, if you remember his life, his suffering in chapter 9, he's getting some bad counsel from his friends, and he has this to say. Job, at the end of one of his discourses, says, Oh, if only there was a mediator between me and God. And beloved, we have the privilege, we could be a little bit of a better friend than Job's friend. We have the privilege today 
of seeing Jesus displayed on the truths of Scripture and coming along someone like Job and say, you know, Job, there is a mediator. There's an umpire between you and God, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can lay his hand, as Job says. He can lay his hand on both parties and says, I stand in the gap. For there is a great mediator between man and God, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2. So we begin or continue our series in this idea of looking at Christ, our mediator. Let me just recap a couple of points we saw last week. We saw the distinction between prophet, priest, and king, though not a separation. A distinction, though not a separation. A prophet represents God to the people. Uh, So he declares the will and word of God to God's people. A priest, he represents the people to God as he engages in the work of satisfaction and intercession on behalf of the people. That's what we're going to look at today, Christ our priest. And king, he represents, like the prophet, God to the people, but he delivers the people by grace rules them in love, and defends them in power. And we look forward to that with Pastor Robert next Lord's Day. This is who Jesus Christ is for you in the gospel. He is your great mediator, your prophet, priest, and king, all in one for you. We also saw a threefold remedy for a threefold problem. Original sin consigns us to guilt, ignorance, and bondage. Christ, in his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king, overcomes these. We saw that in Isaiah 61 last week, but you could also see this in John 14, 6, when our Lord says, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus says he's the way, He's talking about his priesthood. He takes away the guilt of our sin, opening up access and a way to God. When he says himself as the the truth, he's invoking that office of prophet as he scatters the darkness of our ignorance and what keeps us from knowing the Father. And when our Lord says he's the life, he's invoking the office of king. He delivers us from the bondage and tyranny of sin and death and gives us life with the Father. So a threefold remedy for a threefold problem. Which brings us to our topic today of Christ as as priest. And I just have two main uh, thoughts that I want to discuss with you or for you to see today. First, I want to look at what is a priest and what is the priesthood? What is a priest and what is the priesthood? And then secondly, the twofold duty of a priest. The twofold duty of a priest. So first, what is a priest and what was the priesthood? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, a priest was uh, a Cohen was his name, actually, or his title. Psalm 110 Zechariah 6, a priest was was an honored minister. A priest was one who held 
sacred ecclesiastical office. Exodus 28, don't turn there now. Maybe this afternoon you can look there for yourself. Exodus 28 is where this office is officially instituted. His principal work, that is a priest, was the work of sacrificing. That's what he did. That's what he became known as. One scholar says a priest became, um, D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, says uh, so, so important and so evident was his work of sacrificing that the priest became known as the slaughterer, as the sacrificer. And D.A. Carson goes on and he says, whenever you preach the gospel then, you must preach a bloody gospel because there's blood everywhere. In the Old Testament and obviously on Mount Calvary. That's what a priest was. That's what he did. He sacrificed animals. But what was the priesthood? Why did it exist? Well, the priesthood was the cultic or religious institution that provided the means whereby the priest engaged in his work of sacrifice or his role of mediator. That was the, um, the context in which he grew up and learned how to sacrifice. He would watch his dad sacrifice and he would come to these animals and lay the animals on the altar for the slaughter. And all of it, as we know, the priest and the priesthood symbolized the priestly office of Christ and the recovery of sinners into favor with God. Whether it be the Passover lamb, the common Levitical priests, Melchizedek, the sacrificed animals, the temple, the high priest, as you know, all of it prefigured Christ and his work of satisfaction for us. Now, let me take an aside, footnote. Keep in mind that the priesthood is not the basis for Christ. All right? It's not as though the priesthood is the reality and Christ needs to fulfill it in order to be priest. That's not how it works. All right? Christ is the reality the substance, and the priesthood exists because of Christ. Is that clear? Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 8. I just want you to see this just for a moment. I don't want to get too far afield here, but... Hebrews 8. I think sometimes we see the priesthood as the reality and, oh... I hope Christ comes in order to fulfill this for me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hebrews 8, 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, that is our Lord, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man, 
For every high priest is appointed, that is, Levitical high priest, to offer gifts and sacrifices. Okay. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They, that is, the Levitical priests, serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. All right? For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Moses, the temple, the tabernacle, it was not the substance. It was not that God set that up and said, well, I hope my son fulfills this. No, that was, to begin with, a shadow. That was a copy. That was a pattern. The reality is Jesus Christ. Thomas Goodwin put it like this, beloved, in a, different, a little bit different way, talking about Christmas. Christ didn't come into the world for man. You're thinking, what? Man came into the world for Christ. Is that clear? Everything that you have in the Old Testament exists not simply for Christ to fulfill It exists because of Christ. Because he's the eternal God for us in the gospel. We exist and we were brought into this world for Christ. To glorify him. So, that's a priest and a little bit about the priesthood itself. A little bit of background. Now, for the bulk of our time, we'll see a twofold duty of a priest. And this twofold duty is satisfaction that, that is his death and intercession. That is his prayers. His twofold duty is satisfaction and intercession. Let's begin with satisfaction. Both testaments confirm that judicial retribution from God is necessary in order to save the sinner. All right? And when I say necessary, I mean necessary as it pertains to the eternal decree of God. The plan of redemption is necessary, but it is also free from God's good pleasure and will to to save us. So it's only necessary in regards to his eternal decree to save us. All right. So in other words, that's a parenthetical statement. Let's come back to the original one. God, with respect to his justice, willed that without satisfaction for sin, there would be no forgiveness of sins. That's what he willed as a good and righteous God. And here's what we see in the Bible. In the Old Testament, The high priest entered the most holy place and made satisfaction for sin 
his and the people's, by offering an animal. Hebrews 9.7. Yes? Yes. In the new, Christ makes satisfaction for sin, not for himself, but on behalf of his people by offering himself. Hebrews 9.14. The high priest, when he entered the temple, had the 12 tribes of Israel embroidered across, across his chest and shoulders. Do you remember that? Exodus 28, he goes in, and the people of God are sketched on his chest and shoulders. And Christ, as our high priest, on Mount Calvary, took the names of his people, you and me, upon his heart, and shoulders and died in our place. What a glorious high priest we have. That is his work of satisfaction. As he's there at Calvary, being your high priest, that is what he is doing. He is making a way. He is satisfying justice. He is at Calvary on the cross wearing your name upon his heart and upon his shoulders, becoming for you what you ought to be, a slaughtered lamb. Did you know that the only interest Christ has in your sin is to get rid of it. And as your mediator, as your high priest, he says to you, I want to be with you. I want you. And what is Blocking us to have full and unbridled fellowship of love and communion is sin. And so what I'm going to do is take your place and become your priest and get rid of your sin so that you and I can have this lovely communion together. The only reason God wants you is because he loves you. And the only reason he loves you is because he wants you. His interest in your sin is to get rid of it. What a glorious high priest. Paul puts it like this in Hebrews or Romans chapter 3. Turn there. As Cole read earlier, Romans 3.21. But now the, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And you're supposed to think at that moment, really? That's such good news for the sinner. It's been manifested apart from the law? 
please tell me more because the law is bad news right now. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's the gospel. There is no distinction, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the law says to you. And then he says, by the word of the gospel, and are justified by his grace as a gift. So the righteousness of God, how we become righteous in God's sight, is not only by the law, but the gospel comes in and says, move over, law. I'll declare them righteous. How? He justifies you by his grace as a gift. He declares you by way of imputation, righteous in the Father's sight. And how is this done? Satisfaction. Look at it. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus pays the the redemption price to free you. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Christ Jesus is that sacrifice that satisfies justice, the wrath of God on your behalf. And this is what the gospel is all about, isn't it? This is what the gospel is. This is what we celebrate, especially this time of year. Christ, our beautiful mediator on our behalf. And as he makes his offering of satisfaction, that's not the end of the story. Christ also engages in the work of intercession. And I just have three quick thoughts here. First, we see Christ's intercession from the institution of the priesthood. In the Old Testament, the high priest was bound to first offer a sacrifice upon the altar. We, we covered that. That's, that's satisfaction. Second, he was called then to carry the blood of the animal into the holy place and burn incense. And this is, this is wonderful. Christ Having finished his sacrifice on the cross, he was not done becoming your priest, rose and ascended to heaven to burn incense, to pray for you, to intercede for you. Hebrews 9.24, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, but to heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So he's there right now, praying for us as our high priest. Second thought, the method of our salvation declares this. Salvation is not sufficient unless obtained, but also preserved and applied. Christ in his death obtained salvation for us, But that salvation is preserved and applied by his intercession. All right? It's not as though his intercession adds any merit to his death. No, it's that his prayers are the application of that merit, ever preserving you, 
ever sustaining you, ever in fellowship with you. What a deep and consoling thought it is that Christ is praying for me. Even when I'm negligent in prayer, there Christ is, presenting to the Father my needs, which most of the time are not even present in my mind when I do pray. There Christ is, praying for your protection, beloved, against the thunderbolts of the law, the enemies that assault your peace and joy. Christ is praying for your faith that it may not cease, that it will abide, that you come out victoriously in the end. And third, you have the accusation of the devil. The devil accuses us before God, Revelation 12, 10. And so it is necessary, therefore, to have an advocate, a defender, to plead our cause before God. Paul says in Romans 8, who shall bring, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, the devil would like to. It is God who justifies, Paul says. Who is to condemn? Well, the devil would like to. He tries. And Paul says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Everywhere the devil looks, he's defeated. Whatever he does, there is Christ, our great high priest, to overcome him, both in his work of satisfaction and in his work of intercession. Everywhere he looks, he is defeated. What do we sing just a minute ago? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, doesn't he? Doesn't he, beloved? Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. And so Christ is our high priest in his intercession, and in his work of satisfaction. And it's perfect for us all the time. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts of conclusion here to I want you to think about the constancy of his intercession the constancy we need not only a savior who has completed an objective work for us in the past but also one who is daily engaged in the subjective application of that work. Have you ever considered how tens of thousands call upon God all at once? 
And if he were to take a moment of intercession, that would be fatal for you and for me. But the scriptures testify that our God does not grow weary or faint-hearted. And he does not take a minute off. There is no moment of intercession. He is the great unchangeable I am. He is the one from everlasting to everlasting. He is the eternal God. And he receives all these prayers all at once because he can. He is that perfect king for us and priest. Before the throne of God above we sang, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. He is constant in his intercession for you. And secondly and lastly, consider the efficacy of his intercession. The intercessory prayers of Christ never fail. They never fail. As the grave of Lazarus, the Lord told the crowd that the Father always hears him. John eleven forty two. 42. The reason why his prayer never fails is because his work of satisfaction don't fail. He has merited all that he asks, and therein lies, beloved, therein lies the assurance that his prayers for you are effective. Christ has done it all, and all that he does never fails. So again, we see a whole Christ for a whole Savior, for a whole sinner. Thomas Brooks, I want to leave you with this. He says, to be in a state of true grace is to be miserable no more. It is to be happy forever. A soul in this state is a soul near and dear to God. It is a soul much beloved and very highly valued by God. It is a soul housed in God. It is a soul safe in everlasting arms. And that's why Christ did everything for you. It is to have you because he wants you. He loves you as your great high priest. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for the, the graciousness and goodness of Christ standing in our place on Mount Calvary, and we thank you for his work of intercession, praying for us constantly, always effectively. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.